Danish Dynamite, the Superliga podcast, brought to you by footballindenmark.com. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening even, delete as appropriate. Welcome to Danish Dynamite, the Superliga podcast, and we're back for episode three. Of course, it's been another big week of action to unpack, but before we get into that, I just wanted to say thank you to everyone for all the support you've given the podcast since it launched a few weeks ago. I honestly never imagined that that there would be such interest for an English language Super League pod. So thank you. And I really hope I can continue to keep you all entertained in the coming weeks, months, years. I'd like to give a special shout out to the two newest Patreons, Jakob and Silvana. Just to say it's really appreciated, guys. It makes a big difference. And thank you. So if you want to join them in supporting all of the Football in Denmark content, head on over to patreon.com forward slash football in Denmark, and you can join for the price of a coffee a month. With that out of the way, let's get into the show. So in part one, I've got a special guest in Stora Sando with me to discuss all of the round 12 action. And in part two, I've got a brief conversation with Viborg supporter Magnus Sonegaard, who has written the definitive history of the club. Viborger, of course, are a team who've come onto a lot of people's radars, I think, outside of Denmark in the past year or two with their incredible exploits. So we're going to talk a bit about the club with him and how the book project came to be. Lots to come. So let's go. Here to unpack the Super League action with me today is a Danish sports journalist who you might know from Football Podcast and Mediano, the one and only Stura Sando. Thank you for having me on the show, Henry. It's a pleasure. And uh, most people won't know this, but when I was sat on my sofa and first created the Football in Denmark account, I wrote a tweet saying, you know, I wanted to, wanted to start talking about this in English. And you retweeted it. And that was what really got people uh, to, to first discover the account. So super grateful for that. And yeah, you know, we talked about doing this podcast some time ago. So finally, finally got it together and we're here. Yeah, that's great. I'm I'm so happy that I could help you. And it's just been a pleasure following this project that it is, I guess. Absolutely. But before we sort of get into some of the action... I wondered if you could just talk a little bit about your career in sports journalism and in football journalism. And I put out a request for questions and there was a lot of taking the mick, but there were some serious questions too. And somebody asked for your best memories from football podcasts because that obviously played a big part in people's lives. Yeah, football podcast is the handle, but the podcast called Football Ministerial that would translate into the Ministry of Football, which was sort of like... It was a talk show about football with former Premier League player Lars Jakobsen and Christian Volney, who was had various roles in in Danish football, um, and um, among them he was um, he was a press officer at FC Copenhagen for once and FC Nordsjælland, and he has lived with and in football for many years, just like Lars had. And I I was quite new to to the industry, but they took me under their wings and <laughs> we had five uh, fun years together. And uh, yeah, I think that the best memories must have been meeting the legends that we that we had on our show. Different Danish players who had great stories to tell that we didn't know on beforehand. And that was that was fun. But but one thing that really stood out was when we met Søren Andersen, who once played uh, with Sean Dice 
and he uh, told the story about uh, Jean eating earthworms at training. Uh, and when that when that story hit the English media, and Sean Dice was being asked questions about it at a press conference ahead of a Premier League match, I I think we sort of made it. I don't know how to to explain, but it was just it was just so weird to to see that something we talked about in the podcast was sort of like hitting the headlines in in England. I remember that story. I was convinced that that was like an April Fool's. I can't believe that that, that emanated from the podcast. It's uh, it's all come full circle. So yeah, Sean died with a mouthful of earthworms. I I can't get the image out of my head. No. <laughs> Yeah, and I actually met Christian at the Norgelen V-Borg game earlier this season. So uh, slowly meeting all the members of uh, <laughs> of the old gang. So yeah. that, that was nice. And it, it sounds like you've you've sort of been in, in and amongst football for a long time. I started working professionally about six years ago. Before that, I, I did some volunteer, uh, you know, like fan writing for a, a site called agffan.dk because I'm a fan of AGF. Full so disclosure. I've, I've, I've never tried to hide it because there's no reason to when you can just Google my name and find all the articles that I wrote. Um, yeah, but then I became an intern at Mediano and then it just escalated quite quickly from there because Mediano was yeah a success, I would say, uh, in Denmark. And, and uh, I got a job at UEFA as well, covering Danish teams in Europe and, and the national team. So, yeah. It's been a lot of football in my life uh, for the last six years, I would say. And have you had to almost be extra critical of AGF to uh, kind of counter the fact that people know you're a, a fan? I've had some some complaints about that through <laughs> <during> the years, <laughs> but not many. Okay. I think it's uh, there's a balance between talking about them as a fan and then as a, as a journalist. And I think that's... It's it's not too hard to shift between the roles. Uh, when I go with my friends and watch watch a mat, match with them in the stands or or at a at a bar, I'm I'm one person, and I also have a professional self that are more balanced in my views. You could say. <laughs> Yeah, I'm always very suspicious of people when they're football fans who say they don't support a team. Um, I'm always curious who who referees grew up supporting because referees are are very keep their cards very close to their chest. But I have my suspicions. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> um, but before we before we talk about specific matches this weekend, there was a. a a question from Twitter from Martin Anderson, just asking for your opinion on VAR. And VAR has featured quite heavily this weekend. There were a number of decisions that people felt uh, either should have gone to VAR or VAR called it wrong. We've had it in the league for a couple of seasons now. Do you think it's been a force for good? Do you think it's improved the enjoyment of a game, like knowing that decisions can can be referred? Yeah, that's... That's a tough one, actually, I think, because I understand why it's there. And when there is VAR in in the rest of, of Europe and in, in football in general, I think, yeah, we, we have to jump that train and, and, and be part of the, uh, the way things are going in football. But on the other hand, as a fan, as a, as a football lover, I don't like it. I tend to forget it when I'm watching football on TV because... Then you see the slow mos over and over again, and you want to to just have the 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 most 
fair decisions, but whenever I'm at a game, I hate it. When I watch it live, I really hate it. And, um, and I think it's something that is made for the fans watching from home rather than the fans attending the matches. And I think that we should cater more to, to the fans that are, are actually going, creating the atmosphere and uh, traveling and, and all that. So if I could take it out of football, I would do that. But on the other hand, I understand why it's, why it's here in Denmark. Yeah, I mean, I attend lots of uh, lots of Premier League games, lots of Arsenal games, and you know they've got massive jumbotron screens in in the stadium, and they still don't show the replays. So as a fan, you've got no clue what's going on. And take that, it's the same approach in the Superliga. The fans in the stadium really don't have a clue. You know, checking their phones to find out from someone who's watching it on TV what's happening. And I think that, you know, when you can't have the euphoria of a goal, I think you have to question whether do we need a hundred percent correct decisions no matter how long it takes versus some human error exactly and i don't think that we are discussing uh, the decisions less now than we were before so i don't see it's getting us anywhere really yeah i just think it is taking the being impulsive uh, yeah. as a fan and this at the stadium it's it's taking that out of the game i don't like that yeah absolutely well one game where there were some decisions that had people talking, shall we say, was uh, the Copenhagen derby. I talked last week about how I thought this was going to be a, a much closer game than the 4-1 earlier in the season for a number of reasons. And I think sort of going into it as well, there was some important context. There were no away fans. There was a, a protest by Alpha, you know, the fan group at, at Bromby. And after the match, the volunteer was attacked. There were some clashes with police. Are you able to just sort of try and unpack some of the situation that sort of surrounded the derby? Oh, yeah, that's a tough one. <laughs> there was also a, um, a demonstration by the, the Copenhagen fans in uh, Brøndby because that's where the, the headquarters of the, uh, you know, kind of uh, like, like the FA. The FA, yeah, yeah, where they are based. Yeah, so there was a lot going on. And, and today in, in Denmark, the talk is about how the police handled that demonstration when, when the Copenhagen fans left from Copenhagen and there was a clash at the at the central station there. Mm. Um, a lot of videos are being uh, being shared on Twitter and, and social media in general right now. So uh, there's a lot of talk about that Boinby are going to be sold to probably David Blitzer, who has a long history with Blackstone. And I think that's one of the things that sort of kicked off the situation in, in Bonnby as a club for itself. That has nothing to do with, with Copenhagen. But at the same time, there's been a general uh, rise in the, in the bad stories about how the fans are um, getting involved in more and more clashes between the clubs and also when Copenhagen went to Dortmund and and Bonby supporters went there as well to to cause trouble all that is part of this context and it's it's just sad it's just completely sad and i i i'm so worn out a bit that the stories that hit the biggest headlines about danish football uh, right now are all the bad stories uh, and that that makes me sad <laughs> Yeah, and I'm sure we both know people on on both sides of the derby divide who aren't able to attend these matches, you know, as an away fan and have absolutely no intention of causing trouble. 
And for them, you know, it takes away what might be the best match day experience of, of the season. And I think that that is, yeah, that's a real shame as a kind of side effect. Yeah, I, I really think that more of the stakeholders need to, to work together now. The reaction that we are seeing from inside of the fan scene is, is one thing and it's, and it's good. And I think it's what we need. Uh, I think it's probably the most important one because you can pull it down from the top and, and just tell people how to react. You have to, to let it come from the, the, the grassroots, uh, so to speak. But we also need to see the police, the clubs, the politicians get involved in dialogue, I think. Also with the fans that might not follow every rule strictly by the book every time, if you mm-hmm. understand what I mean. Um, you, you have to, to, in, to get everybody who is part of this involved and try to listen and try to learn and try to understand what's going on rather than just uh, pointing fingers. I know it's easy to say, but but I really think that, that we need to, to do something about this. And as I can see, it's not only a problem in Denmark right now, but we can't solve the problems in Germany or Hungary or, or wherever. We, mm-hmm. we have to, to, to take care of our own little precious Superliga. Yeah, we actually had a question from Alex at CPH Gunner, who said, what can be done to get both clubs fans back in the ground? And I, I wonder how much there needs to be carrot versus stick, you know, how much positive dialogue needs to be happened, how much sort of flexing of rules needs to happen versus face scanning and some of the more draconian things they're talking about. Do you have a sense of where that balance is going to lie in the in the end in order to get both sets of fans back in the stadiums? Yeah, that's... That's a tough one, but I, I think that the reaction that we are seeing from, from inside of the fan scene is probably the best thing that has happened in this conflict for, for many years because we need people to not take responsibility for what other fans are doing, but the people that attend the matches have to take responsibility for their own club or I don't know how to really how to put it, but you know, you can't just go there and close your eyes. You have to be part of the solution now because we see this problem over and over again. And I understand why you don't want to, if you don't want to to point out uh, specific persons or, or something like that. I, I understand why people can be afraid to do that. But as we saw in in the derby this, this weekend, that the whole stadium kind of like stood together mm. and tried to show how it can be. They are not, 99% of the, the, the fans there are not responsible of Copenhagen fans not being able to go there. Uh, and I think actually most of the of the Brøndby fans are, are sad that it's not, you know, with, with both sides represented uh, in the stands. But when you see the way they are singing together and, and the way the atmosphere were, I think that's a step in the right direction. But I, I it's not like I have all the answers because I think it's so complex to 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 solve this problem because there's there's so many people with so many feelings involved in this yeah absolutely and if i understand what you're saying correctly i think what you're saying is that it needs to be something that is self-policed from the inside and people checking each other not just here's the authority and here's the fans and and one controls the other yeah the culture has to to change in a way among the the fan groups that say we don't want to to be part of this if 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 it's violent uh we don't want to see drugs in the stands stuff like that and it's not 
something that will be solved in in a week or two or something like that but mm. we need to to develop uh, and and to educate each other and and the next generation of fans i think yeah there was another question actually from m hansen who said is this only an fc co rombu issue or are other clubs involved in this kind of situation too i think it's it's mostly the copenhagen clubs yes i think there's there's a general rise we have, we have in 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 the fan attendance uh, overall in the superliga we are going through a season with the highest attendance ever so there might be uh, some statistics that point out that there are uh, maybe more arrests i don't know but we have to 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 take into consideration that there's never been so many people attending the matches in the superliga before mm. but it's not my impression that that it's a problem reaching uh, out throughout the whole of Denmark, but I see it in the outside of Denmark uh, quite a lot in the in different social media channels. You see that I think sort of like old school hooliganism is on the rise. Hmm. Yeah, it's fairly clear that just banning supporters isn't really having an effect. So I think I'm with you. There needs to be a, a more comprehensive look at what can be done to to try and return things to a level where people feel safe at the stadium as a bare minimum yeah definitely should we talk about the game (laughs) (laughs) yeah let's do that (laughs) i thought that it played out i mean i I was very impressed with how uh came out of the the traps and they really sort of had the lion's share of probably the first hour and should have made it two goals to nil i think you know had plenty of chances but only got one left the door open you know once again rooney bardaji comes on and has a very positive effect on a, a lackluster Copenhagen side. And sure enough, there was some late drama, 97th minute, very well-taken goal, uh, and it finished 1-1. How did you sort of see the match play out? Yeah, that's uh, yeah, quite how I saw it. You know, when I uh, I was preparing for this, I, I just uh, looked back uh, on the Copenhagen scoring uh, the, for the last period of time because I just wanted to see uh, when they last scored more than one goal in a match and that was back to the 19th of August uh, against Lyngby when they beat them 3-0 so they really have a scoring problem uh, and as well of course defensive problems as well they are they have so many injuries uh, and yeah Seca of course is kind of like the backbone of this team and it's obviously that they're they're missing him so much both in in the defense and offense I think actually so so yeah, uh, I I checked the odds just before the match, and I saw that that Brøndby was the slight favourites, and I and I think they they showed that they were playing at home, no away supporters as well, and it's I must just say it's it's a crazy stadium to to go to. It it stands out like no other in in Denmark, I would say. Pagen, a filled Pagen, yes, it has some of the same atmosphere, but it's so big. I think that that Brøndby Stadion is is more intimate, and it m- must be more frightening for for players to go there. Not to say, uh, it's not that I say that the Copenhagen players are afraid to go there, but it must be a big boost for the for the home team. Now it's it's Rooney that that give them uh, another goal. It's second week in a row now, um, and I just think they have a a big problem scoring goals, Copenhagen, uh, and and that will get to them. Yeah, it feels almost like a, a perfect storm for them in that Cornelius is injured. Dorami hasn't really hit the levels that, that he showed before he left. 
not only is Zecker out, but Falk as well, missing games. And I think that, you know, that, that combination has left the team looking quite disjointed. You know, I, I'm never that convinced by Bergman Johansson as a winger. Uh, you know, I think Clayson as a, as a nine, you don't get the best out of him. So you're kind of plugging all these square pegs in round holes and inevitably, you know, it's not leading to <laughs> high scoring approach. No, they're the, the only team in the Champions League that haven't scored a goal yet. Uh, in in four matches and yeah they they are they're really struggling in in the offense but as uh, as well in in the defense with Babo out now Boilers now it's not easy for them to to have you know like five matches in a row with the with the same lineup or something like that yeah and I just looked at the the stats and FC Co have now conceded as many goals as they did in the entirety of last season which was nineteen so with that header on uh, on the weekend that brings up their their tally so really shows how poor they've been defensively and how unable they've been to to put together a, a run of clean sheets but on the flip side I thought there were signs of life certainly for a Bromby team who haven't really showed their best level this season I thought that the striker whose name I can't pronounce oh he yeah we call him that <laughs> <laughs> I thought that he led the line really well took his goal well you know could have had a second and I think that he looks to me exactly like the sort of striker that they've been missing since um Uwa left for Philadelphia yeah it's quite interesting looking at the stats before values and oh he arrived um that was um they, they came in on the the last and the and the and the day before that uh, day of the transfer window, so in late August, and that was, let me just eight matches into the season. At that point, they had zero point eighty six point per game, and since then they had one point sixty seven points per game. That's almost double from there on, and they played yeah both Horsens and and Lyngby, the the promoted teams. Uh, but they've also played uh, Ranas twice and Vibor and Copenhagen, obviously. So actually, they're in 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 the last six games. There's a, the second best team in the league. Only Midtjylland are, are better. So wow. um, that's quite interesting to to see actually. And uh, I I think they are going to to end in the top six. <laughs> I must say I'm not sure about Copenhagen to be honest because they're running out of matches. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. With every week, there seem to be increasing rumours about Thomas Delaney. I think a player like him coming coming back might give a boost. But like you say, there's only eight games. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, they don't have a lot of time. Although they are only outside the top six on goal difference. So I, I think it's going to be there's going to be a, a tight battle for the, that sixth spot because the top five all look quite secure yeah. at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. But but looking at their um, the points they get per game, it has been a, around 1.3 throughout the whole season. And I, and I think that's actually their problem, because they have, I don't think they're looking better now than they were before. And I think it's the opposite with both Midtjylland and uh, Boynby. They, they are better than they, they were in the beginning of the season. And I think that's, that's worrying uh, on behalf of, of Copenhagen. Yeah. Oof. Well, another weekend for, for both to stake a claim for the top six coming up. But why don't we talk about another game now, one that you attended this weekend in uh, Farham. Were you attending as a fan or a, yeah. a, a journalist? Oh, yeah, a very much Great. as a fan. <laughs> Fantastic. So yeah, yeah Norgeland AGF finished one all. 
more late drama seems to be a theme for the Super League of this season. I thought it was interesting that Norgelin got two penalties and sent up two different penalty takers with two very different results. That's not for me. I think if you have a player who goes up, take a penalty, slots it away like Sheldrup did, you send him up for another one. But hey, that's just me. But AGF pulled a point out of the bag. Is that the, the start of the revival? I hope so, but I'm not sure. AGF have lost some matches during the season, but they've only lost matches with one goal. So it's not, I, I don't, as a fan, I don't have the feeling that they are way behind the other teams. Mm. But it's just so, this, this season is just so even uh, among all the teams. So, yeah, I hope it's the, the revival of them. But they got one point uh, on Sunday. They could have got one point in a lot of the previous games, but they didn't. Now they got one. I think it's, you know, like that's that how it must go uh, someday, even though they, they are uh, playing the the best team in the in the league at, at that uh, at that day. But I think it's hard to say they started out under Uwe Rösler quite good, got the results. Now they've had a period where I think it was, yeah, five losses in six matches. That's tough when the when when everything is so even, but I'm I'm afraid they they are not going to make it into the top six. But relegation, it's it's hard to say because it's only Lumbu who is sort of like sure on on going down. I think. Yeah, I think that certainly I've seen a big improvement in AGF this season, but it might be too soon for a, a top four charge. But I, I said last week on the podcast actually, I looked at the form table and I almost. It hadn't registered to me that the AGF were on such a bad run of form because I think, as you say, the performances haven't been terrible. It's just been being picked by a, a goal here and there. What was the experience like as a, as a fan? I know that AGF take a, a lot of supporters wherever they go. Uh, was it was it fun being in the stadium? It's always fun to go to matches with the, with your friends. I think uh, I really love that, and uh, we haven't had many AGF matches here in in the Copenhagen area for the last almost last year so so it's good to to go out and and watch them not too far from from my home here in mm-hmm. Copenhagen we didn't really believe that we would get a point when we when we got down one nil I thought okay we know how this this will go from 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 now on because Norseland are, are such a strong team especially playing at home and and we often struggle when we when we go there and then suddenly that goal came out of, yeah, I wouldn't say nothing, but it was just, actually, just before the goal, I was talking to my friend and I asked him if he could remember when he last saw with his own eyes AGF score a goal. And we, we, <laughs> we couldn't we couldn't remember. Uh, I, I went to the goalless draw in, in Aarhus where we played uh, Ranas uh, and and should have won that game. And... Um, Sometimes when you when you don't see your, your your team like every week, but only when they are uh, in the area of where you live, you 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 come to think of yeah, when did I see them score actually <laughs> in the last time and I, and I couldn't remember, but but then we got that goal and that was that was crucial I think because you really need the points and you really need the other teams not to get points <laughs> yeah uh, in this this very tight league you know there's three points from. From spot eleven up till number six, yeah, that's yeah, crazy. Yeah. I think very, very tight. Um, I, I think that makes it super exciting each week that there can be so much movement. The question that everyone is asking, especially reindeer hot dog, 
is can Neuschlin keep this up? We speak about this almost every week, but it feels like with every passing week that they're staying in the number one spot, can they become gold medal winners? Yeah, why not? Um, I think they have such a good team and they are not under the same pressure as, as the other favorites are. So yeah, why not? But but it's uh, it's not like I'm I feel sure about anything in the Superliga because yeah. I think there's there's so many teams that could uh, put together a, a streak and then and then come back. Yeah, I, I guess if we think about this time last season, Silkeborg, you know, they were doing well, but they were very much mid table. They only put together that fantastic late surge as the the championship round progressed, uh, and that's what really got them the bronze medal. Yeah, but I think that what's in the favor of of Norseland is that they they are good at playing the the good teams. Um, yeah. So so that will help them in the top six because that's another way of deciding uh, a championship than than the structure was before because you play the best teams more times now, and I think that's uh, that's important to be able to to play at, against the best teams more times now than than it was before. Absolutely. Well, two of the best of the rest contenders faced off last night in what was probably the game of the round. Uh, yeah, I'd say. Silkeborg against the Ranners, and it was 3-all. Was this a case of Hannah's fighting spirit and some very smart substitutions, or was this Silkeborg throwing it away? Maybe a bit of both. Um, I think Silkeborg, it's just lovely to see them play. It's just they they make football look so easy. I think, mm. uh, and that's yeah. As a as a neutral fan, it's just a pleasure to to watch them play. And at the same time, the the runners' fighting spirit is is also <laughs> uh, lovely to to watch because they they don't give up. And the way they clawed themselves back into this game was just that was so pure runners. And, and on the other hand. Getting the three three one lead that was so pure Silkeborg, I think. So that was it was nice to see the teams playing like um, they want to, and and you could say they both succeeded, uh, or that maybe Silkeborg failed in in the last part, and and uh, Ranas did in the first part. But yeah, it was a great football match anyway. Yeah, it was like two two conflicting styles comes together and make something. It was like the when Aerosmith collaborated with Run DMC or something. Yeah. Like, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I thought it was great to see Sebastian Jorgensen back to his best. He looked he looked really, really sharp again. And, uh, you know, he had a bit of a, uh, I don't know, a bit of a disappointing start to the season after being, you know, one of the top players in the league last season. But he looked really back to his best. And it bodes well, given I'm watching him in London next week. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's funny because... When he plays up to his his best, he's amazing to watch, and and he's far from done creating these uh, scoring these goals in in the Super League. I just love his timing and his uh, in his runs and and the way he finishes is yeah, it's just marvelous to watch when when he when he hits his level. Yeah, it's brilliant. And another player who's really impressing at the moment and seems to have found a new lease of life is Kasper Kusk. He, he's become a really important player for for Silkeborg. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting to to follow um, because just like Helenius, he used to be coached by Kent Nielsen in Aalborg at OB, and he probably played his best football uh, back in the twenty fourteen 
2013-2014 season uh, when they won the double. And he he had a, a marvelous collaboration with Lucas Anderson. Yes, and since then he he hadn't really he haven't really played out to his best, I think. But then now he's back with Kent Nielsen again, and he 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 shows what he can. Uh, and the same goes for Helenius, who he was left out in AGF because there was too many attackers, and and he was not among the best they thought. And now he's just back scoring goals in the Superliga. Not at the moment, but but still, he has been vital to to the rise of Silkeborg. Yeah, and it, he's another player who you feel Kent Nielsen has managed to get him playing right up to his maximum. Exactly, yeah. You mentioned Alborg just now, and they had a, a 2-0 win this weekend against Lingby. Is that their amount of trouble now? And has the new manager, Eric Cameron, has the effect that he seems to have had on the defence in particular... Is that a sign of things to come for them? Do you think this is the, the, the start of their revival? Actually, I don't. Um, they just played uh, a cup match uh, against a team from third division, uh, Benluse. And you have to, to bear in mind that third division is the, like the fourth tier in Denmark. They had to go to overtime to, uh, to extra time to, to, to get that win. Uh, they even got down 1-0 after 90 minutes. It was uh, 1-0. And then they won three one. But as the Van Luce coach said, my players are tired. They're just coming directly from work. They've been working since eight in the morning, so uh, of course they're tired now. Uh, and I think that says a lot about the state of of OB right now. I know they didn't play with all their best players, but at the same time, they needed just to close this match as quickly as possible and get back to to Olbo, uh, instead of uh, spending too much time in in the suburbs of Copenhagen uh, against uh, a team from the lower divisions. And, you know, when you look at the teams they have faced since Hamrein took over, it's AGF, who that's that's their win, <laughs> the AGF win uh, in their last seven matches, it must be right now. Uh, they led in three goals against them. They led one goal in against uh, Orbe. They played uh, yeah 1-0 with, uh, with Horsens, and then they won... 2-0 against Lyngby, but it's the two promoted teams, Lyngby and Horsens. It's AGF who's who are on a bad run. And then it's it's OB who's yeah, they are all right, but they are not among the best teams in the in the Superliga. So I think we need to see them against stronger opponents to to conclude on that. Well, we don't have to wait long. Their next run of games leading up to the World Cup, they've got V Ball, then away at Bromby, then Silkeborg, and then away at Norgeland. So that's a pretty tough run of fixtures. And I keep saying that their squad is too good to go down. There are other teams that I feel aren't going to be able to to match them over the course of a season. But the longer time goes on, the more I'm beginning to doubt that. But, you know, I see players like Lars Kramer. I see you know, Alan Souza, Pedro Ferreros, one of the best, if not the best defensive midfielder in the league. And I'm just wondering, you know, what on earth are they doing down there in 11th place after 13 games? But the first thing, actually you could call it the first sin of going down is to say that the team is too good to go down. Because <laughs> I've seen that with 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 AGF more than once and you just have to in in a league like this you don't want to get caught too low down because yeah they have a better team that, than than Horsens but 
still they they're not playing as a as a team all the time. Horsens are playing as a team. I think they they are they are doing good with what they have. But Olvo Obi are are so underperforming week after week, and they they really need to to take this serious. I know they can easily go into the top six. It, they are only three points behind, uh, but but they have to to respect that they are yeah close to the bottom right now. And I I think it's it's, it's so so dangerous to to think that you're too good to, too good to go down because there's so many good teams in the in the Super League this season. I think. Eric Cameron needs to get you into the dressing room to give the the pre-match team talk <laughs> for the weekend. Let the players know. You mentioned Horsens just there. They l- lost narrowly 2-1 this weekend to, to Midtjylland. Their opening goal was a thing of wonder because it hit. Bo- it's a goal that hit both posts before going in, which is always a bit of a, a collector's item. But after taking the lead and having a goal ruled out for offside, Midtjylland came back into it. Anders Dreyer is back in form, scored a phenomenal goal and sorry Cabba had probably the miss of the season. If you haven't seen <laughs> yeah. haven't seen it, you managed to miss from about a yard out. I feel like I'm asking this question on almost every team, but is this Midtjylland back on track? Is the is Capellas's constant rotation starting to get some fresher performances out of some of these players? I think it is. I think it is. They are looking more and more like themselves, contrary to Copenhagen that I, I can't recognize them, um, but but Midtjylland are uh, they're showing that the players they have are more expensive than ninety percent of the teams that they are meeting uh, every week, and they are they are yeah they are climbing this <laughs> this table uh, one match at a time right now I think and I think they will to me they are the the biggest favourites to to actually to win the league. Mm. Yeah, I mean, looking at it, they're only five points off and, you, you know, there's a lot of games still to go. How important has Christopher Olsen been to their performances this season? It feels like he's, you know, popping up with goals. Very, don't think I've seen him had a bad performance for them so far. No, it's uh, it's interesting because actually I I don't like when you bring back old players that used to perform. I think they can always only disappoint uh, if you expect too much from them. Take Sisto as an example. Is Has he been worth what they offered? Uh, I'm not sure. Cornelius is back in Copenhagen. Of course, he's out injured, but you know they also brought back Nikolai Jørgensen, who never really uh, mm. got back at his own his old level. Uh, I think it's so dangerous to bring back players um, like, like that. I know every story is different but still uh, I, I I don't like it but <laughs> this is maybe the the case to prove me wrong of course there's a reason that you bring back uh, players that you know I understand that and and yeah uh, Olsen has has really showed that uh, that he is an important player to this team and and their and their rise again and the the final game of the weekend uh, was Vibor nil Odinson nil and I, I think it's safe to say Vibor had the better of it. I thought 
Saeed looked very sharp, but they weren't able to get the win in the end. And I guess in the grand scheme of things, I think both teams will will take a point from that. But it feels like V-Borg, you know, on and off the pitch, it feels to me like one of the success stories of the season. It feels like the fans are loving it. It feels like the, the players are really enjoying it. Despite losing some key players, they're still up there in the mix for even the title race. So I know everyone's talking about Norgeland this season, but can we spare a moment for, for V-Borg? Yeah, I think they are one of the teams that stick to their to their blueprint, like uh, Norseland and Silkeborg uh, are doing as well. Vibo is one of the teams with uh, the smaller budgets, but they have a style of play that they've decided that they they want to go this way, and they they keep on doing that, even though they change the coach <laughs> uh, all the time. They they know what to do, and that's uh, paying off, I think, because they have been. Probably the most unlucky team in Denmark uh, for the past what is five years or something like that, going down in the relegation match against Helsingør uh, some years ago uh, on goal on away goals, and then they were so close of getting promoted. First, uh, they they ended second, but that was a season when the when the structure was changed, so there was only one team that was getting promoted, and uh, that was Weile. So even though they ended second in the in the first division, they didn't get promoted, and then they ended just uh, outside of the of the top two, and and they have really been struggling. Uh, I also think financially, it has been tough for them to to spend so many years in the first division. Um, so they they have they have come back to to strength that uh, they used to have many years ago uh, and and now they look uh, they look like a team and they um, look like a, a club with a plan I would say uh, and that's that's paying off and I know that that they made a lot of noise in in London um, and I know that the West Ham fans who traveled out to, to Vibor had, had a fantastic time there would you say from a, a kind of fan scene perspective it's one of the one of the best clubs outside of the you know the 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 traditional kind of top three or four definitely definitely they they really uh, they have a lot of um, they have a lot of fans but they also have um, a lot of um, culture around their fan scene they they have so much pride in the way they uh perform in the stands and um they put a lot of effort into it and they i think considering they're one of the smaller uh clubs uh looking at the results for the last 20 years um in a in a not in a big city uh, I think they they really have something to offer uh, whenever where 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 they go. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Um, before we before we close up part one, uh, let's take a quick look forward at the the games coming up this weekend. And we got some. This has got to be one of the most exciting rounds coming up. We we start with FC Copenhagen against FC Midtjylland. Um, I, I don't. I don't. I don't know how to call that one, but I, I feel like Michelin will probably be favourites going into that. Yeah, they are my favourites. Uh, I must say. So you're predicting a Michelin win? Yes, I am. I I, uh, I think they're 
sort of yeah back on track and and as i said copenhagen uh yeah it's they are unrecognizable uh also because they have so many players out due to injury so uh they they are struggling so much on the other hand i think they look better now under uh, jakob nestrup i i definitely do but still uh, i see midland in better shape right now yeah i, I- I think what will make for a, a better game in this is that it, it is the cup this week rather than a European game. So I think they can rotate a bit more heavily and, and get some fresher legs for that game. But yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that one. And I'm also really looking forward to AGF against Rombu. That's always a very fiery fixture, isn't it? It, it's, it was kind of the original derby before the Copenhagen derby. And that is going to be a fantastic atmosphere, uh, albeit without the, the away fans there. And I think it's going to be quite a tight game. Yeah, I hope it will because I'm, I'm quite scared of Wanby at the moment. Uh, as I said, uh, they, they've, they've looked completely different since Ohi and and Velus arrived. And uh, I know that a lot of their fans are, are not too too happy uh, about Nils Frederiksen uh, and his lack of ideas, uh, as they say. But still, um, I think they. I, I just hate playing Bonby. Uh, I I don't have a good feeling in my stomach, but but that can also be just the the feeling of a fan going into to another in another weekend. <laughs> this feels to me like the most obvious one-all draw I, I've I've seen all season. Yeah, I, I'm happy to take that. <laughs> <laughs> then we've got Alborg against Viborg, the first of Alborg's very tough run coming up. It's hard to see them getting anything out of this game, the way Viborg have been playing uh, and the way Alborg have been playing. Yeah, but still, I don't think it was put you know, too much into to looking at the table because there's almost 10 spots between them, eight spots between them, but still, it's only eight points. It's not, it's not too much, I think. And Obe are playing at home. Viborg, they're good, but still, if a player like... Alan Sousa, Lucas Anderson, or one of the other guys, just you know, like uh, Luca Prip, up, yeah, Prip, yeah, play up to their level. They have the players to to outplay uh, Vibor. Yeah, I really think that. Yeah, I was very impressed with Lucas Anderson against Lingby. I think he uh, w- was starting to show some of his kind of top form again. Probably unlucky not to score. There's another game that I'm going to be glued to, which is Hannes against FC Norgeland. Top of the table clash. And it's going to be a big test for Norgeland to go go away and prove their mettle. And they're going to be without Ernest Nuama as well, who, who got a red card on the weekend. So that makes things even trickier for them. Yeah, that's going to be... <laughs> I think it's one of the rounds that are so unpredictable. Uh, and this one as well, because both teams are able to to dictate the game i think uh, especially when when runners play at home and not playing on uh, artificial turf they tend to perform better so i think that probably both teams would be happy with the draw but still that depends on how everything pans out because if you get down uh, 1-0 to to Norseland, it's it's so hard to to get back because they are so they have so many pacey and skilled players to punish you on the counter attacks. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, I'm 
super excited for that one. I'm constantly having to kind of bargain with my wife to get time to watch the games. Can you give me a reason why why I would watch OB against Lyngby this weekend? You know, I think that Lyngby can't be held down anymore. They <laughs> will get that first win of the season, I think. Wow. And uh, and you have to, to see that. So so that would be my suggestion because we're now 13 games into the to the season and they have they are probably the worst team of the league but they're not that bad yeah yeah I, I really feel for them I had, had a great experience visiting the stadium and you know fans are great they deserve a win sorry OB fans but it has to happen at some point if it doesn't happen this weekend then then maybe the one after but I, yeah, I want them they, to have a, yeah. a win before Christmas <laughs> <laughs> it's always terrifying to meet those teams that haven't won because you don't want to be the team that you know kicks them <laughs> off slips up exactly um and final fixture uh Silkeborg Horsens it's always going to be fun to to watch horses because they they're a team that the other teams I don't they always think that they're better than them, but they tend to put up a fight against everybody. So it's uh, it's always fun to to watch them frustrate the teams that they are they are playing against because yeah almost all the players on the on the opposite team are, are feeling better than than them, but but still they are fighting so much and with with Delach, uh in the goal. Um, mm. When he has a good day, uh, they can always scrap home uh, 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 a goalless draw. Yeah, and he, he's had a few a few good days lately. But the way that I'd describe Horsens actually is, uh, and I mean this completely positively, but they feel quite humble. Last season, they weren't necessarily on people's radar to to come up. They came up that you know they haven't spent big money on on players. You know that they, they've they've got quite a an uncomplicated system, but the, I, I think they they play it really well, and they're going to make life difficult for the other teams around that that area of the of the table. You know, they're not going to go down without a fight. No, and they tend to. Uh, this should be understood in the in the best possible way, but they are playing without respect, as we saw when they when they came to Parken uh, in the in the beginning of the season and won three nil against Copenhagen. It was just like. This this <laughs> this shouldn't happen. It's not yeah. because I support Copenhagen uh, and I don't like Horsens, but it's just like this is not making any sense. Yeah, uh, w- what a result that was, and I think that that sort of galvanized their way of playing and showed, hey, look, this works. Let's keep yeah. doing it. Fantastic. Well, lots of games to keep an eye on. As ever, if you're outside of Scandinavia, you can actually watch these for free on One Football or FIFA Plus. So head on over and and stream some very exciting round 14 Super League action. Uh, Stilva, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show and talking football. I hope we can do it again at some point in the future. But thank you for for sparing the time and thanks for a a really great conversation. Thank you, Henry. And I'd love to be back someday. (laughs) Fantastic. Well, we're going to head into part two after a short break where we're going to speak to Magnus Sonegard, uh, author of a book on the history of Viborg, a team that we've spoken about a few times today. So stay tuned for that. It's a great pleasure to welcome to the show Magnus Sonegard, Viborg supporter, and along with his brother Andreas, author of a book chronicling the 125 year history of the club. Magnus, thanks for joining. Thank you uh, for uh, having me. It's a pleasure. 
But before we get into the book, I just wanted to ask you about V-Borg today. You're sitting in third, you've played six games in Europe, and despite losing some key players, you've continued to play some of the most entertaining football across the league. What do you think is the secret to this success that you're experiencing at the moment? Well, um, it is a good times indeed. I've heard your your first podcast with our uh, captain, uh, Jeppe Gronning. He came with some good answers to that. People like like him and, and other players and, and staff members who have been in the club for a long time has uh, finally uh, got something uh, right. Uh, and uh, together with our new, uh, new uh, he's not new anymore, but he was uh, three years ago, head of sports and, and a football is for uh, there. He, uh, he just came in and was very clever with the things that he, he started up doing in, in a club and he made a strategy. So he knew that every time he had to get a new uh, coach or new players, uh, we would always play like almost uh, the same way instead of when we sacked a manager uh, and we've done that many times in, in our history. Uh, we, it was always, uh, always, always like we had to start from scratch. Um, so now we are more stable and uh, we just uh, had uh, three years now, almost four, for doing the things the right way and just been growing stronger and stronger. And one and a half years ago, we got new uh, investors who also came with some money, not not money that we have used just to buy a very big and uh, expensive players, but money who has, has been like a security for when uh, we wanted to, to do something with better facilities. We could, we could do that without risking uh, our, our club. So I think that the security has been very good. Uh, a lot of times our club has, has needed money and that's make uh, on security and people uh, are thinking in short terms and stuff like that. Uh, so that's not very good on a football club. Well, you've had a couple of player sales as well recently that have been quite sizable sums of money for Superliga standards. So hopefully that sort of provides the the sustainable framework, I guess, in, in a similar way to what Norgeland are doing in terms of, you know, really scouting smartly developing players and then selling to big teams in Denmark and outside yeah yeah um, and uh, that is something new for us too in our past we we haven't uh, been uh, earning a lot on, on uh, selling players about seven years ago we sold the the top score in, in all of the league for like uh, less than than one million uh, euro and if Norsen or Copenhagen has uh, had uh, been selling that top score they had uh, been earning a lot more than that uh, we did, um, but uh, we just uh, sold uh, Justin Longwijk for Dynamo Kiev, and that was the, the, the biggest sale in our history, and it's only uh, 2 million euros, but for our club it's a big sale, and, um, and I think that's something that Jesper Felder and all the other guys in the club have been working very hard on, on doing, and perhaps when we are selling the, the next player, we can earn even more. Let the good times roll. When did you become a, a Vibor supporter? And at what point did the club become, you know, not just something to watch on the weekend, but really a part of your life? I watched my first Vibor game back in 99 when I was uh, 10 years old. And it was kind of coincidence because none of my parents uh, are interested in, in football. At least uh, they weren't. Uh, now they are a little bit. <laughs> but a guy uh, that I went to school with uh, asked me and my brother who wanted to, to come. And uh, and we did and uh, and uh, Vibor played uh, Copenhagen at home and won uh, one nil. Actually, we came too late to see the goal and I'm not sure what it was, but we just uh, started there and then we wanted to go the week after and got it a bit older. We could go ourselves and along the way we we met some friends and and it just became more more fun uh, fun and and suddenly it's just was something you had to do every Sunday and uh, yeah 
still enjoying it uh, a lot, even though uh, good times uh, and the bad times, and there has been uh, a lot more bad times for the past 22 years, in three years. The lows are what, are what make the highs feel better, though, right? Yeah, 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 exactly, yeah. And it's just worth it when you can see uh, how happy people are uh, now. And, you know, in, when we were relegated and were playing uh, very uh, small clubs in the very uh, small stadiums, it was all uh, not always that fun, but it came along. And, you know, when, when we win and we score goals, it's it's always uh, great to to be there. And right now, it's really, really fun to be a Diva supporter. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, doesn't really have a choice. <laughs> yeah, we met, of course, before the West Ham game, which was obviously one of the high points. And so, yeah, I feel very, uh, very honoured that I could have been there with you guys to experience that big moment in the, the club's history. Yeah, and uh, as, I, as I told you in, uh, in London, it was not the most important game in, in our history, but it was the biggest game in our history. I guess really few people uh, expected us to win in London, but it was just a celebration of what has happened the, the, the past few years and the, the, the rising that we are still uh, going through. And right now we are third in, in Super League. That's uh, pretty insane. The last four games have, has been a draw. So I guess the next game, if we win or lose, we will tip or we will be good or bad team. But um, yeah, it's, it's I look at the league every day just to, <laughs> to see us being <laughs> up there. At the third place, yeah. And how did the idea for the book sort of come about? Was it your idea, your brother's idea? Was it something that had been kind of building for a long time? Back in 2020, I looked at my brother and uh, and uh, I, I said to him that, hey, next year, Vivo is turning 125 years old. We have in the past been talking about, we really wanted to, to read a book about our club because it's not the club that has, has won the most titles. Actually, we have won almost uh, nothing, but we were, we're always talking about tradition and the history in, in our club. But truth be told, really no one knew uh, what the history was about. Most people knew about maybe the last 20 years or so uh, with our big legends like Sean Frederiksen, Stephen Hoyer about Pedersen, Jakob Gleob and, and, and players like that. But no one really knew what was going on uh, for the past uh, 100 years. And the only book that was ever written about our club uh, was from 1996. And there was just like a few pages about a random game in uh, 1980 and uh, a Denmark uh, under 21 game from one player and stuff like that. So it was really telling us almost nothing about our club. So we, we were talking about maybe we should just write this book. Uh, my brother being a journalist, so he's always writing anyway. And uh, me being a historian, I'm very inter- interested in, in the past. So uh, we thought to ourselves, well, maybe we should just do it. And yeah, <laughs> we just started thinking about uh, well, what kind of book should it be. And first time we, we thought that it should be like a coffee table book because we didn't really think that we could find anything from uh, 1920, 1930, as the, the years before the, uh, the war. So we were thinking about uh, this coffee table book with a lot of beautiful pictures and maybe a theme about history, the, the stadium or the big players or something like that. But now we got the book and it's almost 600 pages long and uh, it's from uh, 1896 to uh, 2021. So it uh, was becoming a real book. So it sounds like it wasn't just you chronicling everything you knew about the club, but actually going on a process of discovering things yeah. that th- things that had almost been sort of lost in the yeah. the annals okay. of time. Yeah, it was uh, 
it suddenly became uh, like a treasure hunt uh, or a big puzzle that we just uh, had to find all all the bricks to make it too. It just started us searching certain the internet and, and we couldn't find anything that we we didn't knew. But there was a guy uh, whose uh, father was playing in, in the 1960s and uh, and and this player who was uh, working in the 1960s printing stuff. Very interesting in uh, also saving old newspapers and stuff like that. So he, he has saved all the articles about himself and, and his uh, teammates uh, from back then and, and the son who, who, who now has it was so uh, very uh, kind to give us it so we could just start reading old newspapers and we started uh, recognizing uh, names and games and clubs and stuff like that so we just uh, started writing about the 1960s and when we were meeting names and we could suddenly recognize these names we were okay maybe we can find a family member to this guy to this guy and uh, so we looked people up on uh, facebook and and we just started to uh, expand our network got the new and uh, new names meeting new people calling new people it was a big treasure hunt and we got a lot of uh, boxes big boxes with a lot of old newspapers some was in the in order, some of them were just all around. So uh, we used a lot of time uh, making photographs of, of the articles and just trying to get a, a start of it. And yeah, it was a really fun. It was a big treasure hunt for us. And how was the experience of actually writing the book? Did you have to sort of dedicate an hour a day or a time each week where you sat down and wrote? It was tough at some times, but uh, it was also very exciting and you never had a dull moment because uh, when I came home from work, if I just had an hour hour to myself, I could just uh, sit down and uh, and start uh, writing (laughs) and the time uh, went uh, very fast. Sometimes Andreas would do the same, but we always, when we had written some some stuff, we we called each other up or we met and we read it uh, together and edited it together. So so there's not a page that... I have just uh, written or, or he has just written. We have been reading and, and writing it uh, all together. And I think that's when uh, one plus one is uh, gives uh, three. Yeah, we, we use some, some holidays and some weekends and uh, late, uh, late evenings. But I thought that I knew a lot about uh, our club uh, beforehand, but I didn't even know how. When we knew that this could actually be a book, uh, because we didn't want to, to tell people before we we were sure that we could write something that we were satisfied with ourselves, because we just we didn't just want to, to write a book, we wanted to write a, a great book. It has to be worthy of our club. But when we were satisfied uh, with the results and we, we, we could see uh, how it was going and, and we were thinking to ourselves, yeah, this could actually be a, a really great book. Sorry for uh, for being a cocky, but it's... It's really good. Um, we were uh, visiting the club and asked if they they wanted it to like a birthday present. It was before the new investors, so we were thinking that if we could just sell like one thousand books for two hundred kroners, it would be two hundred thousand kroners for our club. Then they got the the investors and really didn't really need a two hundred thousand, but uh, still, Andreas and I aren't uh, earning on it because we just. Uh, Made the deal with the with the club that uh, every uh, every uh, penny that they would earn uh, goes to the fan community and to do something for for the terrace that the active fans are standing on. That's fantastic. And has that money enabled you to do anything in terms of like tifos and things that you wouldn't have been able to do without that? Actually, right now they are just uh, at the bank uh, account waiting for for the right thing to 
to do, but uh, I think it would be something with painting the the terrace or something like that because it's right now it's very uh, just uh, gray and uh, very boring. So I think we were, are going to make something that will last for a long time. And actually, we we don't even know how many books we have sold because uh, none of us has uh, daring uh, ask. <laughs> <laughs> But there's a lot of people who have told us that they have bought it. I think it has been selling quite well. See, this is a this is a good incentive for me to learn Danish because I'm guessing that it's not going to be translated into English. Um, yeah, no, actually, some people have have been asking for a, a sound book, but uh, I don't think that we are going to do it. I guess that most of your listeners are English, so I can tell the the Englishmen who are listening if they want to be a little bit football hipsters, they can buy the book and they just have it on their book stand. Uh, there's a lot of uh, great uh, pictures in it, both in, in colors or, and in uh, uh, one black. A lot of uh, great uh, pictures from like in 1911 when they played with goals uh, with no uh, back end and stuff like that. Um, oh, so, wow. <laughs> yeah, and it's not uh, that expensive. So uh, you can uh, buy it at the VFF.dk. <laughs> Fantastic. And for someone so close to the club, what was the story or the thing that you learned that was most surprising or most kind of interesting to you well i learned that you know uh, when i was growing up in the first 10 years i followed the club uh, we were in the best uh, league and uh, when we got relegated in 2008 it was a big shock for uh, all of the city actually because we were used to playing in the, in the best league when we were making this book it came to us that back in the history vivo has almost uh, never been in the best league actually and and that the 10 years we we were in the best league in the uh, 90s and, and the 2000s was actually actually a very great achievement for our club and that we were not necessarily a super league club that was quite a surprise and i just learned so many great players now in the past but we found this player called helmut weizmoser who was a very uh, <laughs> aggressive midfield player who liked to to tackle very hard and uh, during the war, he was uh, also uh, a resistance uh, member and he had to go to hiding uh, during the war because he was uh, the Germans uh, were after him. Uh, we also found a player called Robert Andreasen who played more than 400 games uh, for our club and no one knew about him. When we were meeting some of the old players uh, like uh, Finn Dossing, uh, Finn Dossing, uh, Dossing in English, who passed away, uh, away uh, recently, yeah, he, of course, knew, knew Robert Andreasen, but none of uh, my age knew Robert Andreasen. He played more than 400 games for our club, so he could be be, be known and uh, acknowledged. Well, there's a lot of funny, funny small stories about uh, the early uh, away days and stuff like that. One of the best things about write, uh, writing the book, except from uh, just uh, giving it to, to people and people come and say that they're very, very happy about it, is all the people that we've met along the way and old players uh, who, who wanted to, to help with all the facts and all the stories. And uh, there have been uh, quite a few, few tears and uh, many laughs uh, during, uh, during the, the way. It has been uh, very fun and a big experience uh, for me and my brother. Brilliant. Yeah, it sounds like it's not just a, a great book from an aesthetic perspective, but it's a really important part of keeping the history of uh, of the club going and when you've been in business for 125 years there's a a lot to, that needs passing on so i, yeah. I think it's i think it's fantastic uh, we, achieve, we, we, achievement yeah. and I, I really wanted to share the story of it because it's such a it's such a unique thing that a club's history hasn't been put together in a single document almost throughout such a long period 
Yeah, and uh, thank you very much. And it was a big responsibility too because you know when we were uh, we had all, all these stories and some of them we had to uh, not uh, use in the book because it would be too uh, too long or maybe it was not that funny or that important. But we knew that if we are not uh, using this story, no one else will, will ever hear it because we don't think that anyone else will go through all these uh, these boxes of all the uh, papers and, and stuff like that. So so we we did our best and. Um, Try to make uh, every uh, relevant story uh, in it. Yeah, and, and it was a very uh, good time that, that we did uh, make the book because people just uh, are getting older, and uh, actually we ha- we had to uh, two of the guys that, that we uh, we were talking about the meeting and we had the appointments. They they died uh, before we we had to to meet them. So it was pretty good that we uh, did it now and and did not wait for the hundred and thirty birthday. Wow. Yeah. Absolutely. Well. Thank you so much, Magnus, for for sharing the the story of that. And if you're listening and want to pick up a copy of the book, whether you're Danish or not, you can get it on the Vborg website. And you can also find Magnus on Twitter at McManusVborg if you want to catch all of the stuff that he is doing Vborg related. But thank you so much for for coming on and, and sharing that. It's really appreciated. It was a pleasure, and I can just say because I did not make the design for the book, it's a really beautiful book, so it uh, looks nice on every bookshelf, also in in England. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Go get that. Cheers, Magnus. Cheers. That's all we've got time for on episode three. As ever, you can find me on footballindenmark.com, on Twitter at footballindk, and of course, please do like, subscribe, and Leave a review if you've got a spare 10 seconds. It really makes the world of difference to the podcast. I'm going to be back next week with another guest. So until then, I will wish you a great weekend of Super League action and catch you on the other side. (laughs) 